Hello, Paz. Slavo. How are you today? I'm doing well. We got quite the interesting person today, Leonardo mm. da Vinci. A true renaissance man, some would say. The absolute renaissance man, jack of all trade, or maybe master of none. Or Let's master say- of trade, jack of none. <laughs> as That's he would what, argue yeah so my question for you right as we kick things off we don't have to go before we get into his timeline of his life i just want to know what do you think about leonardo da vinci thumbs up thumbs down thumbs sideways somewhere in between thumbs up without question but but like he's this interesting guy who is so curious about all these different facets of life, whether it's art, engineering, the anatomy. But I will say in my head, he's more of a fantasy ideas guy than get things done guy. If you know what I'm saying, like wow. a lot of people view him maybe, as, you know, this inventor and this engineer. I would say he's a, he comes up with good ideas, but he doesn't follow through and make things happen. He's not the guy you want to build your house, but maybe the guy you want to draw your dream house for someone else to build. Throw that, throw that on his gravestone. Quote, Paz, not the guy you'd have build your house. You hit him with a solid butt there. <laughs> you were like, ooh, here are all these nice things about him. But... Yeah, I just had to point that out that I just felt everyone was overindulging themselves in Leonardo, crediting him with like inventing the airplane basically and flight and tanks. And it's like he just had some futuristic ideas, just like the creator of Star Wars has. But when someone invents, you know, intergalactic travel, we're not going to credit Star Wars for the invention. Like you can have these ideas. But until you put it in practice and make it happen. Yeah. At, so would you say at the end of the day, he's a renowned painter and then all the other things are kind of ancillary, kind of you just add them on. And I think people kind of romanticize him more and more by just saying like, oh, he did all these other things. But at the end of the day, like he's really known for his painting. Yeah. At the end of the day absolute success as a painter which is very subjective but financially one of his works of art sold for 450 million more than any painting has ever sold and that's not even his most famous ones like the mona lisa and the last supper so without a doubt incredibly successful painter he -hmm. is successful as an engineer and as whatever you want to call him, like a biologist and an anatomist and an inventor. But it wasn't like he created these huge products that lasted forever. He had fundamental scientific papers. It was like just a lot of his ideas were pretty spot on and maybe were useful in the future, but definitely painter first and foremost. Would you agree? I just had a crazy thought enter my head. I would agree in with what you're saying and to touch on what you mentioned there just so our listeners are up to speed 
His three most famous works are The Last Supper, which is mm-hmm. the painting of The Last Supper in... I wish I actually had more background. <laughs> yeah, just, Jesus Christ and his apostles. Very famous painting. You've probably seen it. Yeah, it's the most reproduced painting ever. So in churches around the world, um, it is the most reproduced painting ever. So that is standalone a reason to be known. The Mona Lisa is the most famous painting ever, arguably. Uh, iconic. It's in the Louvre in France. And then he also has arguably the most famous drawing ever, which is the Vitruvian man, which is speaks to his anatomy knowledge where he's, he's got the man arms out wide with the circle nude fellow (laughs) as things often were in the Renaissance. So very, very renowned. The other things, it's a lot of ideas. But before we bias the buzzards, the listeners of Buzz and Biographies, why don't we go through the life and they can make up their own mind about our boy Leonardo. Yeah. So, yeah, nothing we have said already. There's no bias. <laughs> We're not putting any, any bias in. We're now going to start with the life. Um, I, have, I have a typo in my notes. But I know Leonardo da Vinci. Okay, another side note. I'm <laughs> telling you, we're going to get through his life. How many times do you think I'm actually I'm accidentally going to say Leonardo DiCaprio? <laughs> uh, over under one and a half. I'm taking the over, and it's so easy to do. Mm. They both Leonardo did something like it is so easy to do. Yeah, and I always want to call him Leo as well. So if I call. Mm. Uh, da Vinci Leo it's just I don't know just feels natural even though there's another Leo that enters the story but we'll get to that later Um, so Leonardo da Vinci was born on April 15th 1452 in the Tuscan town of Vinci Italy and uh, interesting note there is that Leonardo da Vinci means Leonardo from Vinci so yeah. that's what the duh is. I didn't know that. I did not either. I did know uh, certain cultures back in the day would get their last names from where they were from, which I always thought was kind of cool. That's a nice little way to get your last name. I think like Jesus, I think he was like Jesus from Nazareth or whatever. Nazareth? Something like that. That sounds better. Netherin. Um, so Vinci is a town outside of Florence in Tuscany, sweet kind of area, um, born out of wedlock, maybe not as sweet, a little spicy, um, to Sir Piero di Sir Guido da Vinci and, uh, not a hundred percent sure things are a lot of little fuzzy when it came to his childhood. Um, Yeah. Caterina Booty Del Vaca. Yeah. And his mom, not a lot of historical documents reference his birth mother. Some people think she may have been a slave. Some people think she, but regardless, she was definitely lower class relative to Leonardo's father. They probably had a little bit of a fling, kind of common back then. And out came Leonardo, who at that time, um, 
obviously born out of wedlock. The crew term for that is bastard. <clears throat> and at the time, it was uh, tough in some ways where he couldn't become a notary like the rest of his family for the people who were born in wedlock. That was mm-hmm. kind of their career path. There were certain like schoolings he couldn't go to, but at the same time, it was very accepted. And one historian went on to say that it was like the golden age of bastards to be in Florence at this time. And there were a lot of very successful people born out of wedlock. And uh, that, of course, is going to be the case with our boy Leo. Yeah, it didn't seem to super hold him back. Um, there's, He didn't receive a lot of academic education. Like he wasn't in school for a long time. But people think that that may have been that his artistic abilities were noticed pretty early on. So he was kind of set out on that path. Um, Florence at the time was like kind of the heart of the Renaissance in a lot of ways. So I think the fact that he showed some some talent on the artistic side, just kind of gave up on school. He uh, lived with his grandfather, Antonio, for for a period, and then eventually moved, the whole family moved to uh, Florence when he was age 14. And his father spent most of his time in Florence leading up to this because um. He was working as a notary there. I think he traveled a lot. He's kind of like pseudo high society. Like his father was a notable person. He kept being able to marry. He got married. I think he got married four times. Yeah. Once before Da Vinci was born and then three times after. So he ended up having 12 half half siblings. Yeah. And I think he have like technically even more on his, his mother's side who he lived with until he was about five for not that long. But uh, yeah, his father married four times, at least 12 children. Uh, no one's questioning his potency. <laughs> That's true. Although, not, I mean, not to get too technical here, but I don't think they were really using contraception back then. So it's a good point. It's a good point. <laughs> so maybe some still to be desired from his father. I mean, no one's questioning <laughs> his ability to not stick out a marriage <laughs> yeah. because he uh, definitely did not do that. <laughs> so uh, family moves to, to uh, Florence and he begins as an assistant in the studio of Andrea del Verrocchio who notably this was a this was an artist who they were tutelaged that's not a real word but whatever there they were under the tutelage of donatello yep noted teenage mutant ninja turtle exactly surprise we even got this far without mentioning the teenage uh mutant ninja turtles which Leonardo, just like the real Leonardo in the Ninja Turtles, he was one of the most diversely skilled Ninja Turtles. Um, but yeah, Verrocchio had this little like art school slash business going on where they would sell a lot of art. And at the same time, 
Leonardo picked up a lot of mechanical kind of engineering and anatomy um, skills from Veraccio as well, who really wanted his artists to really understand like human features and to be able to diagram the body as well as, you know, kind of the physics and mechanical workings of light and, and things of that nature. Yeah, I think the artists of the time, it wasn't like you were just going to be painting. It was you were painting and you were sculpting. And if you wanted to be sculpting, you needed to be doing metallurgy and learning how to to manipulate metals. And you needed to know chemistry and you needed to have really awesome penmanship in case you wanted to draw some interesting writing on your on your uh sculpture or something like that so and mechanics for um i don't know making sure things stay together and uh it was kind of where he immediately got into this uh renaissance man quotes air quotes uh mentality that he worked on throughout his entire life was it started right here when he was he became an apprentice at 17 um and he had he had uh compatriots alongside of him who but they were all older than he was so he was kind of he was getting that kind of uh savant prodigy young prodigy kind of vibe yeah and it's a good point you had on how he learned all these skills kind of while the main focus is painting and i heard one historian describe it that at that time and for someone like leonardo that distinction between maybe science and art that is like a pretty fine distinction we have now where they are separate at the time it was kind of one of the same like they didn't even have the scientific method at that point that came a little bit later mm-hmm. so a lot of this you know science engineering and art like he wouldn't even make the distinction of oh right now i'm doing science later i'm going to apply that to art it was just kind of all like one thing yeah it was almost like you were classified as a thinker yeah yeah and you went to this place where people thought for really long periods of time and you had this leader who would then teach you all these different skills that would then enable you to uh like i don't even know if they would consider it problem solving but you're just solving different problems through or and working out theories and um just doing a lot of interesting work. It kind of seems like a fun thing to do. I mean, of all the of all the tasks that you could do, I feel like this is great. They're, you're yeah. just adding in, like, oh, you want to you want to be a painter? Well, you're also going to do chemistry because that's cool. No, th- this sounds great. I think you hit it on the head with thinker. Like, where's that job application? I would love to apply to just be a thinker, just jot stuff down, some notes, some ideas. I'm just imagining somebody being like, I'm a thinker and then spending their day just <laughs> flipping through Reddit. <laughs> just, being like, <laughs> just being like addicted to social media. <laughs> like, I'm not a very good thinker, <laughs> but that's what I'm paid to do. I mean, not a bad life. A lot of people are paid to uh, think in a variety of other other ways okay so um he qualified as a master in the guild of saint luke so the guild is basically a guild it's a guild of these thinkers in the florence area and he and he gets qualified as a master at the age of 20 so he's a young thinker in a room full of thinkers 
he's bringing some fresh ideas. Another interesting note with Verrocchio was that the assistants did a lot of the work. So um, he started kind of getting hands on with the painting, but he didn't do a lot of his own work and for years, years and years and years and years. Like I think his first thing that he did was a drawing and it was kind of a rough sketch. That was his first dated work. And that was at the age of 21. So he had already been working for many years by the time he actually was creating his own work. Yeah. He doesn't have a huge resume of paintings. Like I think that people attribute to him now it's like under 25. And even then there's some debate. So, you know, in a lot of his paintings, he didn't finish or he did partially done. So he doesn't Mm -hmm. have this huge work of art that like you can make a museum of just Leonardo paintings. He's got, you know, He's got some uh, absolute bangers, but he's kind of like a three hit wonder is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah. And you mentioned the f- f- not finishing stuff because he would get commissioned for things later on in life and just and then all of a sudden he would just take another job and just not even complete it. And it yeah, kind of blows my mind to think. Maybe we need to interview a painter. Because I just don't understand writing. I totally understand how it could take you years and years and years. But some of these paintings, it, it's wild that the Mona Lisa he worked on for like six years. Yeah. And, and then once he was finished, he would carry it around with him everywhere. But all, all these paintings and not finishing them. I wonder if it was just like, hey, you start something, you realize it's not going to be what you want, or you have this other project, which I think was the case with Leonardo a lot of times, something else would catch his interest. He just, he has that mind where he's always going to the next thing. Um, Mm. And so a lot of his, yeah, a lot of his works, paintings he was commissioned for, he he did not finish. Like you can't go back when you're doing a painting, right? Is that part of what, part of it? Somewhere out there, somebody that we have a professional painter who's listening, who is just pulling their hair out. But <laughs> but if you make a stroke, if you make the wrong stroke mm. and you can ruin a good thing they have going. So maybe you have to spend so much time visualizing what it's going to look like. So then you can precisely execute what you're looking to do. Yeah, especially a lot that, of these paintings, because they're so real looking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a good point. Once pen hits the paper, you can't you can't erase that. So. Another question I had for you. Do you think artists are born or made? Okay. Without question, there is a natural component where you have to be born with maybe not blind and just have these natural instincts. But then I also think that you develop these natural instincts and you hone them. And then by developing them, especially when you're young, you can really get your craft. So I would say, in my opinion, mostly made and being in the right circumstance and honing your skills, which then I think also affects kind of the anatomy of your brain and what you're good at. But of course it's both, but I like to, I, I lean towards mostly made. What do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you when it comes to hard work pays off and you can always, there's always room for improvement that people can make, but I feel like there are certain people also that are just so innately talented. Yeah musicians that can just pick up multiple instruments whereas the maybe the average person if they learn the piano a little fun fact about me i i played the piano when i was younger 
and uh, I was horrible at it. I was just <laughs> horrible at it. And I practiced, uh, probably didn't practice as much as I should have. But I, as soon as I, the same thing happened. This is an example of why it doesn't transfer instruments. As soon as I had to move my hands on the piano, left or right, I was mm. completely lost. <laughs> if you kept me on those eight home keys, yeah, I was fine. But as soon as I had to move my hands, I was lost. Fast forward, when I eventually played rock band, I'd play the guitar. As soon as I got to hard and I had to yep. use the, the fifth key, got lost there too. And I could work at it and work at it, work at it, work at it, and it would be better. But I think that there's other people out there that just can do it. They just have that skill. Yeah. So I think I, there's a significant component that's just born. Yeah. I agree with that, where a lot of people seem to be born to do something and do this one thing and they pick it up so quickly. And it reminds me of, I believe the Einstein quote, if you judge a fish on its ability to fly, you'll think the fish is like stupid his whole life. Mm. But I do think if you, when you find someone who has a natural proclivity towards a certain aspect, and then they also have the time and the unique circumstance to make it happen. That's where you get the real gems. Cause I've also, uh, like you, there's certain stuff for me, it's been language. I, I can learning a foreign language and like speaking it is just, I am incredibly bad at it. Always has been from like the youngest grades of elementary school. It just didn't click for me. Yeah, that didn't click with me either i'm starting to think most things don't click with me <laughs> um yeah language is a tough one and there's also specifically with language there's a lot of age stuff oh, yeah. in there but you mentioned that it was your oh, it was an entire life struggle so yeah and, and that's kind of the sad or crazy thing is people at our age or once you get out of that gap of being a child and and younger like that's when you can really learn something anything you learn later in life you can't learn as well as you would have if you learned as a child so at this point anything we're gonna like really specialize in it's kind mm -hmm. of like we can't compete with someone who grew up learning that skill that's that's a big reason that i'm so impressed with people from older generations that are not computer slash internet native mm, for being yeah. able to pick it up. Yeah. And hats off to all those older people out there. Like my grandma who snapchats Slavo's grandma who emails. She's being on Facebook. Ooh, Facebook. That was, that was the thing. Yeah. She's, she's the best. She's born able to comment on every photo on Facebook. <laughs> And credit to her for that. <laughs> All right. So back back to our boy, Leonardo. So eventually he gets his own studio. Here we go. We're stepping out onto our own. And in 1478, so at the age of 26, he gets a commission for the chapel of St. Bernard in Vecchio. And then he gets a second commission so he starts to get commissioned to do work so this is great and this is all in the 
in the Florence area. I think this is in Florence. And really interesting thing about this time was that it was almost like he was a really good social climber. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know how much that plays into artistry at the time and that you just have to know the right people as well. Like your skills on the canvas have to meet your social skills where you get in the room with the right person who says yes, because he was hanging out with the Medici family. Who is like basically the most powerful family in Florence and maybe, and maybe Italy. Yeah. It sounded as if the Medici family ran Florence and I believe they may have funded Verrocchio and, and then they kind of heard of this young pupil, but anyways, Leonardo is in their good graces, which comes in handy because at one point, Leonardo gets accused, <clears throat> along with some other people, I believe, of um, having sexual relations with a male prostitute. And that did happen. Yeah. And, and the penalty for that, I don't know if it at your first offense, but eventually the penalty was death. But people believe through the strongholding of the Medici family, the accusers didn't end up showing up to court and the witnesses and all that. And that has led to a lot of speculation on uh, Leonardo's sexual orientation. And also like some people think he may have been asexual. A lot of people think he was homosexual. There's not like any real document documentation mm. of, romantic long-term lovers there's just like one accusation we're talking about now where um with this male prostitute but even that's like who really knows what's going on there so people love to speculate it speculate about leonardo's uh romantic life but but you know who really knows yeah he was a source of uh tabloid fodder mm -hmm. for sure and what we do know is that he was never married and he doesn't really, there's not a lot of historical reference to him talking about lovers or anything like that. He had really close relationships with his apprentices later on, but um, I don't, yeah, it's just kind of not a chapter in the Leonardo da Vinci book, I think, other than the fact that when he was young, he got wrapped up in this uh, scandal that it seems like kind of got swept under the rug. Yeah, yeah, exactly. By the Medicis. Do you want to know some fun facts about the Medicis? Yeah, let's go. Also, uh, Slavo, previous episodes, you've mentioned how you love names. This episode has so many fantastic names. <laughs> I'm trying the best I can. <laughs> There's a lot of crazy. There's Sforza coming up. Um, there. Ludovico, oh my gosh, there's so many crazy names. Uh, Medici, I honestly think I might just like saying Medici the most. Uh, yeah, no, Medici's great. Um, so tell us about the Medici family. So they were in power in Florence for like 500 years. So it was known as the Medici dynasty. They ushered in the Renaissance and then they also ushered in like this idea of the papacy the Ro roman catholic church like gaining power in the mediterranean so they started out as bankers and then they eventually just 
branched out into all these different things. Um, they hosted, they would, um, they hosted all of the, all of the top players in the Renaissance. I'm talking all of the teenage mutant Ninja turtles spent time with, <laughs> with the Medici's. Um, and also like a big person that they loved was Galileo. He, uh, actually tutored Medici children and named four of his kids after Medici family kids that he had tutored previously. Wow. The Medici family sounds like absolute bosses and 500 years is longer than the United States of America has been around. And from what you're saying, it sounds like this may be where the Illuminati came from. Maybe it sounds like the Medici is the OG Illuminati making these teenage Ninja Turtles famous finding out that the earth is not the center of the universe. What is the name of the rat in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Because maybe uh, he is based off of it's the oh man. Splinter. Splinter. Splinter was obviously part of the Medici family. Oh, for sure. He's yeah. Um of another fun thing about the Medici family, they claim to have uh, they like provided the funds for the invention of the piano and the opera. Wow. Let's go. Th- their hands are everywhere, which actually that makes me think of something interesting about my own family. When <laughs> I was young, I, I think I wanted my family to be like known for something. So I was like, Hey mom, is there anything cool that, <laughs> that our family has done or invented or this and that and this and that because i don't know maybe i talked to somebody at school and they 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 knew somebody who was an author or something and my mom goes well your great grandfather one of his brothers invented chapstick <laughs> let's go right pretty cool huh so as i got older i like had the internet so i could look it up and I tried to find any evidence of the inventor of chapstick and none of the things I found online seemed to match up with what my mom said for years and years and years. And then eventually I asked her again. I was like, Hey mom, remember when you said that great grandpa's brother invented chapstick? She's like, I don't know if I ever said that. And I had told <laughs> people in school, uh, like for years i was like wow my great grandfather's brother invented chapstick <laughs> I'm from the chapstick family yeah and then people googled and what i'm seeing now is it was dr charles brown fleet but he really stole it from slavo's uncle great grandfather i think yeah I think, I think what i was told was that it was sold early on for somebody at a very low price and then that mm. person then commercialized it yeah we got a we got to uh, defend your great uncle brother's stepson. <laughs> I think uh, it would be like my honor. great, great, great uncle. Um, yeah. Either way, dude got fucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because I, I, even his own family can't even corroborate his own invention, <laughs> which we is need... a pretty great invention. Yeah. The amount of people this invention impacted we need to get a lawsuit out there and get your family the royalties they deserve this is about justice 
so similar story. My grandfather told me when I was in like sixth grade, so 12 years old. So I should know better. He, he was joking that my grandma dated Elvis Presley. And then I said it in like the sixth grade class when Elvis Presley, Elvis Presley came up for whatever reason. I was like, oh yeah, like I know, like I've heard of him. My grandma dated him. Did anybody ask any follow-up questions? So the teacher at the time goes, oh, your grandma must have been a hottie. <laughs> that is horrible. <laughs> I mean, that's not it's, whatever. It's interesting. Noted audiophile <laughs> Jim Cronin. So I feel like he probably would have called your bluff there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Elvis so, Presley, I think he had a lot of uh, we should do a podcast on Elvis. Uh, I think he did uh, uh, had a lot of like STDs and stuff. So probably better if she didn't. <laughs> yeah and uh i think she did not it's good fun the medici family died out yeah so which i don't know how that happens but i mean yeah. leonardo da vinci they i think they did like a genealogy thing and found that he had 14 living descendants Ooh, wait day. a minute wait a minute does that mean, you know, he, uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> we, did he have a little love affair then? You know, I didn't, or was it descendants or relatives? I don't know that his DNA. Yeah. Was, it might've been like a brother or something. Cause that's yeah. a good point. I don't know. Hey. I feel like probably there was stuff going on. He was an artist at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. There's yeah, no yeah, way yeah. he wasn't. Or maybe there was. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, we, we can get back on track. All right. Back on track. I think his first Leonardo's first commissions that he ever like got any work to do. He ended up not even finishing them. And he offered his services to the Duke of Milan, Ludovico Sforza. And basically gets him in a room. I, I think he actually went to Milan and got in front of him and was like, I can do this. I can do this. I'm, I'm the best that'll ever be. Basically talked himself up. And the guy says, all right, sure. Stay in Milan. So in uh, 1482, he moves to Milan officially, gets commissioned to do some works, um, such as the Last Supper. So kind of a significant mm. one. Yep. Um, and then does good work there. And then the Duke of Milan interest, introduces Leonardo to the King of Hungary. And for the King of Hungary, he gets commissioned to do a Madonna painting. Do you know what a Madonna is? Not before I did my research. Do tell, Slavo. What is a Madonna? Is that a singer? It has multiple definitions. It could either A, be a noted one-word name, singer, songwriter, performer, or it can be a painting slash picture of the Virgin Mary and Jesus. So the Virgin Mary and Jesus is a Madonna. Love it. 
And I wonder the singer, the Madonna in my world, mm. is this where she got the name? She was probably. like, probably. Yeah. It's a, nice it's a pretty name. sweet name. Yeah. When you, when you learn the, the background, I feel like yeah. she should have had an album cover. That was just like a provocative <laughs> Mary and Jesus. And like, she's Mary and Jesus. Or like, she's Jesus. The devil is Mary or something like that. <laughs> you know, uh, but I mean, back in the 80s, it, like people were getting crazy with that stuff. Oh, absolutely. Even now, like that's how you make the news. You just you got to be provocative. Did you know John Lennon had a. Um, side note, John Lennon would be a really interesting podcast subject on side note. <laughs> um. John Lennon had in one of his solo albums, the album cover was just a nude photo of him and Yoko Ono. No way. Just like standing there. What? Yeah. What? That seems ballsy even nowadays. See, that's the thing. I don't even think you could do it now, but they did it. Yeah. So kind of want to look up this photo. Uh, I imagine. Look it up. Look it up. I mean, it's history. I imagine he's not pitching a tent in the photo. Uh, no. <laughs> Matter of fact, that's um good for him. And uh, a lot of hair in this photo. This is wild. This is absolutely wild. This is this is great. This is great. I accidentally typed in John Legend <laughs> nude album cover and it sent me down a completely different path. I'm just going to leave this. Yeah. Should this be my new computer background cover? <laughs> How will that go over at work? Um, I mean, it's just an album cover. Everybody loves the Beatles. Yeah. So if you're taking a nude photo like this, you got to use Photoshop, right? You got to like, you know, make things uh, look a certain way. I think uh, if you're in the public eye, you should be taking every opportunity you can to flatter yourself. <laughs> Which, great. Uh, judging by his, um, what we'll call upkeep, <laughs> I don't know if he was too concerned <laughs> with that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the garden has not been trimmed in a while. <laughs> Is he, are they, are they nudists? Cause that's a fun, we need someone big in the spotlight to be a nudist and just always in the nude proclaim about how clothes are dumb and, you know, let's all just be like animals and be nude all the time. I think we, we need someone like that in the spotlight. I think the closest we have is Chelsea Handler. She came out with a video not too far back where she was skiing topless and she had like nipple covers on. Um, I think she's a big like body celebration. Nude thing, which I mean, as a as a general, I could totally get behind people being like, hey, celebrate the human body. I I think that's a it's actually pretty positive messaging to the to the world. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, is this Buzzman Biography's new stance? <laughs> new stance, clothes optional. 
But in general, I I do imagine nudists are probably pretty friendly. It may be uncomfortable when they're so friendly and nude at the same time, but I imagine they are very friendly, you know, positive people. Have you ever seen the show um, Naked and Afraid? Uh, I've seen like a little bit of it, but not really. Yeah, I mean, uh, what I found from that show is that nudists are like everybody else. <laughs> There's some like mean people on that show. There's some friendly people. It's honestly like it's like whether or not you're a nudist is unrelated to your other personality traits because really it, it <laughs> the people act like any other show. It's not like everybody is like, oh, like this is great. Da, 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 da. Nope. There's like the military guy who's like super <laughs> to the point. So it's pretty funny. All of them, though, they're not like nudist activists per se, are they? They're just like on the show. And so that's why they're naked or uh, I, I think. They. Are like nudists. Interesting. And I, I did maybe know that. there might be people on the show that just take their clothes off. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you really need to work on your foot. And this is something that I always am impressed by with like, whether it be a nudist or somebody who's just outdoorsy and just doesn't wear shoes, but it's pretty impressive when uh, people just walk around on rocks without shoes on. Yeah. That is, you know, you have to walk slow. There's gotta be a lot of pain why are you doing this to yourself? I don't think so because people build up the strength of their feet. Their feet get tough and then they don't even feel it anymore because they have tough feet. I know people with tough hands, like people who mm-hmm. work. I have the softest hands. <laughs> I, I grip, um, I grip anything. I grip a door handle and I get a blister. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, other people they'll be like, if, and, total respect people who work like jobs with their hands and stuff like that. And they're just using their hands all the time and they have really strong grip strength and they have really tough skin. Uh, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good point. And I think it's probably healthier to not wear shoes and all that. I think there's a big movement of like, you know, free the feet. And if you want that natural arch, the natural step. So, you know, the nudists, they really, Okay, so what's you know your t- what's up? All right, so uh, <laughs> interesting thing about Leonardo is that he's kind of embroiled in a war almost at this time because there's all sorts of stuff with the the French and the Italians are battling each other over these cities that Leonardo is hanging out in. So he he goes back to Milan after working with the King of Hungary. And then Milan gets overthrown by France in uh, the year 1500. So Leonardo flees for Venice, where he works as a military architect for a bit, which is interesting, putting those uh, physics skills to good use. I think he was designing uh, naval defenses. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And at some point, he has all these drawings and one famous military one people credit him with is like developing the first tank where they have this kind of armored vehicle where there's eight people inside 
uh, I would, and but and it was never made. So I feel like it's an aggressive exaggeration to say he developed the first tank. People like to point to it. It is very neat. And then I do think he had a chariot, which in the front of it had like a four size that uh, scythes that were in a circle. And I do believe that was actually built. I don't know if it was used in battle, but yeah, he was his engineering prowess was used and some stuff he designed and made designs for did get built, but, but a lot of it, you know, later down the road, people look at and say, this looks like kind of the tank nowadays. Yeah. It kind of looked like at the time, it kind of looked like a UFO. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. It was like circular. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As a, as a listener imagining what, a UFO would look like. That's what this would look like. Um, he also had a design for a huge crossbow. Yes. Kind of like the thing for anybody who's watched Game of Thrones, the thing that shot the dragons out of the sky. Leonardo da Vinci basically designed that. He has drawings <laughs> of it. Yeah. And, and again, where is the line? It was never built, but where is the line between, hey, you drew an artistic drawing of this sweet crossbow to on the other end, this is a functioning engineering design to spec that could be built. And I think his crossbow is somewhere in between never got built for battle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it never specifically got built, but then similar things get built later. There, yeah. were, there were certain things that he uh, came up with ideas or he theorized. At one point, he theorized about friction. Mm, yep. And he basically talked about this idea that when something slides down a ramp, that it slows down. And he was theorizing that it's because of the friction between the two surfaces. And friction as a, as a law of science was not officially discovered for another 200 years, but he would talk about these things, which showed that he was a really smart person um, before they were actually discovered or invented or created. And, uh, but you can't really give him credit because he didn't go all the way. Exactly. He he didn't publish the thing about friction, make experiments, but he did exactly wait like hundreds of years before it was a known published fact. he mentioned friction and he talked about perpetual motion and how he thought that was impossible, which later was proved to be impossible. So he had so much knowledge and this relentless curiosity and he really knew his stuff. But again, he's more of an ideas guy versus seeing it through to fruition where it's actually impacting people's lives. Mm -hmm. So He's a military architect for a bit in Venice. Then he goes back to Florence. I, I don't think he was in Venice for that long, like less than a year. And then um, he enters the service of the son of the current Pope, who uh, he impressed with a drawing of a map. I think it was a map of the city that the son was kind of running. And he becomes the chief military engineer and architect, which I like that. You see a photo or you see a drawing of a map and you're like, you're going to be my engineer. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, really jack of all trades here. 
and probably a good choice as an engineer. Um, and then this whole time he's painting. So I think Mona Lisa was finished in 1499. Don't quote me on that, but he's no wait. Last Supper was finished. No, I think I'm 89. Yeah, I think Last Supper was finished in 1498. Mona Lisa, 1516. So he starts working on um, Mona Lisa in 1503 when he heads back to Florence. And um, at that point, he gets summoned to Milan to talk to. Milan is currently under French rule. So he gets summoned to talk to Charles d'Amboise in 1506 and works for Charles d'Amboise, who's the the ruler in Milan and uh, becomes really close friends with Charles d'Amboise to the point that by the time he died, it was kind of like his best bud in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I think through this connection, um, when there was like this entry into Milan for the French king, there was some celebration and the king wanted a robotic lion and Da Vinci was commissioned or Da Vinci designed this mechanical robotic lion, which could move and I believe dropped flowers at the feet of the king. And so this was an example of like a well-designed neat thing Da Vinci created and also saw it through fruition. And I think it impressed a lot of people. Yeah. I, I think the lion went up to the king and then let out like a metaphorical roar and then flowers came out. Yeah. Pretty sweet. Very sweet. Maybe Leonardo's magnum opus potentially. <laughs> um, so yeah, he's working on Mona Lisa. He's working on works. He, uh, the French get overthrown again in Milan. As we all know, the French don't always hold Milan. But Leonardo, at this point, he's kind of he kind of plays both sides like he's good with the French. He's good yeah. with the he's good with the Italians. He's good with the Pope um, because he's hanging out with the at the Medici's house. And then one of the Medici family becomes Pope. So he's like close. Talk about proximity to power. He's close with the Pope. He knows the French aristocrats. At one point, there's a meeting between the Pope and the King of France and Leonardo da Vinci is just in the room kind of yeah. not necessarily mediating, but he's there for that kind of a meeting. Yeah. It's wild throughout his life. There's all this backdrop of war, but whoever is in power, he is super ingratiated with. And I think people like him and I think people realize his talents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, so then he, he works for the King of France and they become friends. So again, just ingratiating himself to more people with power. Uh, eventually, his right hand becomes paralyzed. That's not ideal. No, no. For, for an artist, you would think you don't want. But I do believe he was a left-handed person. So between the two hands, that might be for the best. Sh should we uh, fact check this? Yeah, I might need to fact check that. 
I just kind uh, of assumed he was right-handed, you know, 90% chance. Yeah, but so, and this is like kind of a Leonardo. <laughs> Ooh, you. This is kind of Leonardo. He's an eccentric. He's a little. Oh, different. he was a lefty. He's, okay. He's a vegetarian. He's a lefty. He's just, he's wired differently. It's the whole, it's the genius in him. So he was a lefty. So fortunately, when his right hand got paralyzed, and then uh, I think his body just kind of started to fail him in his 60s. So things weren't going super well. And then he had like a, se- <clears throat> he had like a series of strokes. And things just, again, weren't going well. And then, um, he ended up passing on May 2nd, 1519. And wh- when did you say that Mona Lisa was completed? 1516. Yeah. So kind of, and there's something to be said about like the magnum opus completed at the end of his life where he's maybe at the peak of his artistic powers. Mm-hmm. But the, the Mona Lisa, why is it so famous? Right. I don't know. Honestly, yeah. I don't know. Like a lot of these paintings, real paint historians, people knowledgeable in the arts of painting, they point to like he was the best one point perspective or the angles or the way he did motion. And I do know with the Mona Lisa, people always point out that wherever you walk in the room, it looks like she's looking at you. And then the other thing, don't people say like they it's created so perfectly that you can't tell if it's a male or a female? I think it's pretty clearly female, but um, that that could possibly be said. I think there's also something to be said about the fact that he clearly loved it so much. And then and he didn't have very many works, right? So then it kind of became the Leonardo da Vinci painting. And then it was actually stolen from the Louvre in 1911. Somebody just walked in and took it. Crazy. And then um, people, and then they found it. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I've heard the people like you, wherever you stand, it looks like it's it looks like she's looking at you. And um, I mean, didn't they steal the Mona Lisa in uh, National Treasure? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I remember kind of what it's all about. Declaration of Independence, but we're going to steal as good. the Declaration of Independence. Um, so I have a little segment for you. Ooh. That I wanted to uh, jump into, if that's all right. Go for it. It's related to the idea of the Renaissance man, which uh, Leonardo da Vinci is the archetype for. Also, another noted Renaissance man in history, Benjamin Franklin, is kind of considered a Renaissance man. But there's other other words for it. Renaissance man. Polymath. Yeah. Or this idea known as the competent man. 
And this is somebody who has a wide range of skills and abilities. So Robert Heinlein in his book, Time Enough for Love, listed the things that he think thinks someone should be able to do to be considered a competent man or woman. He says a human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, command a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, shout out accountants, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders and give orders, cooperate and act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently and die gallantly. So my question for you are what are, and we can just go back and forth here. What are things that you think you want to learn in your life to, to consider yourself a competent person? Things I should master in life. Or that you would like to. Mm-hmm. Should, would like to, just things to be like, a, like the competent person mm. or your ideal competent person. Okay. So I'm going to start with practical. I have some abstract ideas I would like to discuss, but practically, I think being able to kind of live on your own in terms of whether it's hunting or fishing or growing food, kind of living off the land, survivalist type skills, I think would be great to have, Mm. but we'll, we'll condense that to hunting and fishing. Hunting and fishing. Yeah. Being able to live alone in nature kind of thing. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a pretty good practical skill. I think something. So along those lines where it's almost like in the breakdown of society, I feel like, uh, being able to read a map would be really cool and like navigate via map. I know military folks need to know how to like map navigate. And I feel like that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Very cool. Is it back to me? Um, no, I can, give another, another I, I, I can give another one. Uh, I, I think knowing how to um, bake without a recipe Ooh. would be pretty cool. Yeah. But- or just general cooking without a recipe, because it's one thing to follow mm. along with the recipe, but just kind of know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Cooking by feel. I like that. So another one. Now I'll get a little more abstract here. But I would say to have the mental strength or maybe meditation skills where you could be in the shittiest situation, but you can just calm yourself and control yourself. Like think of your worst fears. If that's being in a um, a casket filled with spiders or snakes, and if you could just get the mental capacity to meditate and be Zen and not freak out. I feel like that's the ultimate skill to overcome any fear or anxiety or distraction, that level of like meditative mental strength. Like ultimate focus. 
yeah kind of thing or maybe not even focus like just kind of like it would would you say it almost extends to like being able to compartmentalize be like i'm gonna put this there yeah i'm afraid of this i think this like i'm in this really scary situation yeah yeah exactly uh, I think that, yeah, that'd be great. That almost sounds like the state of Nirvana yes, in Buddhist yes, culture. like that, yeah. Where you can kind of, you get into this state of omnipotence and then you can like fully <clears throat> handle yeah. it. Yeah, I have that visual memory where like a Buddhist monk is sitting cross-legged and lights himself on fire. I don't know what the context of this was, but like that mental determination, which don't want to do that, mm. but, you know, that's what we're going for. Ultimate mental determination. Do you think this translates to marathon running? Do you think you could get yourself <laughs> into a state where you can run a marathon and without necessarily having like the buildup of physical training and just say, I'm going to get through this. They say that, uh, this is something that they look for in like Navy SEALs is to get them <laughs> to see if they can get them to the point that they just will never give up kind of thing. And they just block yeah. out pain and they block out everything and they just set a goal and just achieve it. Yeah. If you can get your mind that mentally strong, where the only limitation is physical and not the your mental mind telling you to quit, that's mm. a hell of a skill. The ultimate alignment of mind and body. Paz, really going for it. Yeah, I think that would make you quite competent. Um, have you ever wanted to do your taxes by hand? <laughs> so I don't know by hand, but I've used the like government website that's free and you have to enter everything. And you have. Yeah, but back when my taxes were a little more simple. And it wasn't that much more difficult than TurboTax, but so is that yours? And as an accountant, I imagine you certainly could. Well, the short answer is no, I couldn't because I, I was in private accounting. I didn't do taxes. I know like some stuff about taxes. I did take yeah. one class in called federal income tax for individuals where I learned about taxes, but it was all so confusing. There's no rhyme or reason to how taxes work. <laughs> it's really like it's people get into a room and it's not like a bunch of accountants get together and they're like, what makes the most sense? No, it's like person A <laughs> and person B are like, well, we think there should be a tax write off for farmers. And then person A is like, well, OK, but only for cattle. And then, and then you're reading a book and it's like, well, farmer, like PS farmers get a tax write off, but only for cattle, just for like, as an example, but there, it <laughs> yeah. just doesn't make sense. So I've, I've always hated taxes for that reason, because there's no logic to it. So I just, I just use a free ad turbo tax and just pay the, pay the fee, get it oh, off yeah. my plate. That's the way I do it. Just, yeah, just give them the money, get this over with. I succumb to technology. Yeah, let me carry on with my life. I would love, so one thing for me, I would mm -hmm. love to learn how to 
rudimentary, rudimentarily code. Mm, nice. That that's a fun one. Uh, can be pretty practical, very doable. And I think, and Steve Jobs always said this, where he thought it should be part of every liberal arts curriculum because it really forces you to design something that will work like instruction line by line, very logical. So I do see the, how it can help you mentally be very logical. You know, if this happens then this, then this. Um, so I think there are a lot of benefits to it in terms of your like thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The logical problem solving and, yeah, and just the way of being like, this is the flow. This is how mm-hmm. the building blocks work. You have yeah. to set the ground building blocks and then you grow them from there. I think that's very cool. Yeah. And shout out to Leonardo and on a similar vein, I would be interested in, in learning mechanics and like, you know, you have this thing that twists, which pushes the force that way, kind of the physics, again, the fundamental things that uh, make mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff in our life work. I would be interested to to understand that. But my thing, what I want to learn is to be able to whistle with my f- forefinger and my thumb really uh, loud. Yeah. I, I mean, I can do it. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. Slavo, you master. Teach us the ways. Um, I feel like you can't learn that until you're like 40 years old or older. Yeah, and you have like three kids and a dog. Yeah, that's super cool. Actually, no, I've met somebody around, uh, uh, probably in their mid twenties who could do it like really loud. Wow! So, so it, anybody it might can just do be it. A gift. It might just be a gift. I don't know. Yeah, it's one of those things. Did you? Could you always know how to whistle, or did you learn how to whistle? I definitely learned. I like practice. And even now I do it by inhaling and not exhaling. That's in, that's me inhaling. Oh, I can go both ways. Oof. I'm, cool. a, I'm a switch hitter. Um, interesting. <laughs> so interesting thing. I could never snap my fingers and I would try and I would try and I would try. I tried to practice. <laughs> and then um, all of a sudden one day I went to do it. And I learned how to snap. I just woke up and could snap my left hand. I can't with my right hand. (laughs) I'm the same same thing. Left. And I know it's not like the best snap either. Like I I wouldn't say it's a very great finger snap, but I'd love to learn how to snap my other finger. Mm, Yeah. At some point. I don't know if that makes me more competent, but. Are you worried it's just going to go away? Like easy come, easy go. One day you woke up and you could snap. 100%. That could be taken away. A hundred percent. I think I'm much closer to losing the finger snapping in my left hand <laughs> than I am to gaining the finger snapping oh, in my man. right hand. Oh, man. Because there's some days, I don't know, maybe when my skin is more oily, where my snapping isn't as good. Yeah. Yeah. Because the when you snap your fingers, the sound is the sound of your finger hitting your palm, right? Yeah, I think so. A one, uh, you have a-, a two, a one, two, three, four. But anyway. Anywho. Um, 
Yeah, so Leonardo da Vinci. This is not really important. It's just he his his remains are kind of lost. Interesting. Did, did you read about this? I did not, but that's another thing with Leonardo is there are so many conspiracies. Of course, there was the Da Vinci Code book movie that spawned a bunch, and you know mm, he knew wrong. the Holy Grail and all this. There are so many conspiracies around Leonardo and people think he left messages in his paintings. It's a great deep dive if you really want to go down that wormhole. Mm-hmm. But so, so I did not know this about the remains. Yeah, I, it wasn't as much like a conspiracy thing as it was. Like, I think the area that his body was buried was just destroyed during war. And I think like the graves were destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. So it was tough to um, remember exactly where he was. Fair enough. Any uh, any parting thoughts on Leonardo da Vinci? Yeah. I mean, interesting, fascinating guy. Really inspires me. And I imagine a lot of people to like get a journal, start jotting down ideas, you know, explore some field of study that isn't necessarily your expertise. Uh, very inspiring life. Yeah, definitely. A motivated thinker, always taking on new things, which I respect. And then also having one thing that they're really good at. Yeah, That exactly. pays the bills. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's good to have one thing that pays the bills. Yeah. And for him, that was, for the most part, painting. But then also other stuff. For him, it was honestly paying the bills. It was more of his social skills known yeah i mean i want i want to read the da vinci code oh yeah i've never actually read it i've seen the movie i think twice Mm -hmm. but i haven't read the book similar to national treasure also a fun story that was back when conspiracy theories were fun yeah (laughs) back when dan brown does it it's fun but when i do it I I get arrested at the well, Capitol. I storm the Capitol. <laughs> How come when I do it, I get banned from Twitter? Oh man, that's that's a good comparison. Like if you're someone who stormed the Capitol, be like Nicholas Cage when he seals the Declaration. Like Nicholas Cage is at the Oscars right now, and here I am. Sitting in jail because I took a photo with the podium. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Dude, that, that's fucking wild. That's fucking wild that that happened. Definitely. Like, I feel like it would be less wild if it was like an actual military coup as opposed to just like. <laughs> yeah, just like a weird like riot gone wrong. Yeah, like she's like a riot Reddit thread. Just <laughs> that everybody was just watching on TV and was like, ooh, that's getting worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're inside uh, now. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Hey, everybody. Thanks for giving us a listen today. Uh, that was Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah. Buzz Nation, as always, a pleasure. Take care, everybody. Shout out, Buzz Nation. Killing it. Bye now. Ba bam. Skadam. Shuffle lamb. <laughs>